Hello, and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. I'm a photographer, art enthusiast, and collector here in Austin, Texas. If you listen to my first interview with Stephen Clark and are back for more, thank you. And if this is your first episode, welcome. My goal with this podcast is to learn as much as I can from all of the amazing artists and gallery owners here in Austin about making art, selling art, marketing yourself, finding a gallery to represent you, starting and running a gallery, and everything in between. And when you sit down with someone and really get into what they do and who they are, it can be so interesting and you can learn a lot, even from people you've known for a long time. It's fun, and I'm really excited about doing this and sharing it with all of you. Thanks to my good friend Stan Killian for the intro and outro music. The song is called Elvin Sight. It comes from his wonderful album Unified. And thanks to Jason and Lynn for their support to get this podcast started after probably a year of deliberation. Don't wait, just jump in and try it. This second episode is with Troy Campa of Kamiba Art, which is located at 2832 East MLK Junior Boulevard in the Flatbed Building here in Austin. The great thing about having a gallery at that location is that you are there with six or seven other galleries, and when there is a coordinated opening night, the art lover gets to see a lot of diverse and high-quality work under one roof. Troy is such a great guy, and I really love his taste in art, and he has really created such a great gallery. Not to mention the art tours, which I hope to attend one soon. Maybe Havana or Oaxaca? Wouldn't that be wonderful? There's a link to their upcoming tours in the show notes. Okay, here is my conversation with Troy Campa. Okay, Troy, thanks for being on my podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Okay. Where do you want to start? Did your love of art come out of studying architecture, or how did it, did it start as a child, or do you remember thinking about what art was as um, a kid? Yeah, I, I do remember thinking about art um, as a kid. Um, I don't necessarily come from a collecting background, my but my parents uh, did expose us to um, museums when mm-hmm. I was young. I grew up in Houston, and we have wonderful art museums. and. Yeah. Um, surrounded by great art, um, so I, I do remember as a as a child, my parents occasionally taking us to the museums and um, just letting us explore more than anything else. Uh, they very much let us. They tried not to tell us what to think about anything, and so they mm. would always sort of let us go and absorb. And um, so I remember those experiences, uh, but I don't think I really approached art. Uh, as something that would affect me or um, be part of my life until I graduated um, with my architecture degree and, and sort of got out on my own yeah. and uh, started going to museums on my own as, mm-hmm. as an adult. And that's when I um, became passionate about it, I guess. Yeah. Well, when you started going to museums, what do you feel like you were looking for? Mm. I, I think... For me, I think I was looking a little bit for inspiration because there is this connection between art and architecture. Obviously, at university, we had to take um, art history courses. Mm -hmm. So I I got the basics. By no means an art major of any sort. But I got the basics enough to know uh, 
what I was looking at. And I think when I graduated, I felt that there was this connection between art and architecture, and I could see inspiration there. Uh, so a lot of times I would go uh, to be inspired, but also to practice my sketching skills, which mm. um, was part of what I learned at university also is that there was this connection to being able to uh, put pencil to paper. Um, mm. And so sometimes I would sketch things in nature, and architecture, and things like that. And sometimes I would just go to a museum to sketch and just to um, interpret things that are already there. Um, so it was a meditative you know, process for me to be surrounded by creativity. Yeah. It's kind of part of the creative process, kind of brainstorming, just looking and... Mm-hmm. Seeing what you can come up with on a piece of paper. Yeah, exactly. Just putting it down and, and just keeping that, um, that ability uh, to communicate with a pencil on paper uh, sort of fresh. Because um, so much of um, modern architecture is done on the computer. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, if that, what, yeah, is that the state of it now? It's, that is the state of it now. And I, I think it's still very important to put pencil to paper because I think that that's the fastest way to... To, to get an idea down freely and um, and not without limitations. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times uh, in the computer, it's hard to... Oh, this is going to sound so weird because it, it can be true and not true, but it's hard to uh, put things down without limitations because of the technical aspects of it. You know, you have to be a master at some 3D program to really be able to get a thought down fast yeah. on you know whereas with Photoshop. a pencil exactly like i mean so you have to deep. be in, yeah so it, it's for me at least it's easier to sketch out a, a three-dimensional concept really quick and then work on getting it in the computer and working the logistics out and things like that yeah. but to put the concept down on a napkin as they would say is a lot faster to me and so i think that's really important uh, for yeah. people to to be able to have that ability even if they don't necessarily use it all the time but to to kind of keep it um keep it fresh and that's what i was really trying to do when i would go to the museums um was just to keep things fresh to keep that ability to to capture what i'm seeing on on paper did you ever think when you were designing um for different architectural projects did you think about art in relation to the structure Mm -hmm. like i know there are some architects that will actually plan around big pieces of art almost like installations Mm -hmm. maybe that's Mm-hmm. In the minority, but uh... yeah, it does ha- it does happen. And and um, when I had that opportunity, I think that was definitely something I, I loved doing. It's working around art, or even working around um, a, a client's um, furnishing collection. If they had mm. some antiques or some heirloom pieces that they wanted to make sure that fit into a particular room or uh, something, I, I loved having that list of those pieces to work around and to in, incorporate into the design. Mm-hmm. Uh, special niches or special spaces for things so not just art but anything i I love incorporating into the design so that it's holistic and not something somebody gets their house and they go okay what do i where do i put this now yeah you know it's already been thought out yeah do you see now um kind of thinking about your taste that you had in architecture do you see that now in the art that you're drawn to at all, or is there a connection absolutely. there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, my personal collection is, is very uh, broad and eclectic, but um, 
personally, my favorites tend to be very abstract um, built works. Mm. And, and I think that's what you'll see at the gallery a lot is that attention to materiality um, and kind of how the art is put together really more than anything else. How not necessarily what is the aesthetic of it, but how's it done and, mm. the, you know, the process. I, I'm, I'm very intrigued with process, and I think that comes directly out of the architecture of how do things get put together. It seems like some artists might be kind of uh, resistant or not appreciate that because uh, mm-hmm. um, some artists, I feel like they don't want you focusing on the process or like, or at least that's the way it is in photography. Like if, you know, a famous photographer gets a question about like, oh, what kind of camera did you use? What kind of lens did you use? What kind of film did you use? A lot of them kind of just feel like that's beside the point. It's really about the final product. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that could be the case. But um, luckily, the artists that I'm interested in are interested in sharing that. Yeah. You know, and, and that being part of what what we share with other people. It's obviously not the end all. You know, yeah. the, the end all is the aesthetic beauty of it and whether people appreciate that or don't appreciate that. But I like it whenever there's an aesthetic beauty and there's an attention to craft and then we're able to learn about that process and it gives you a deeper meaning or a deeper appreciation of it. Um, yeah, it would add to that. Right, it adds to it. It's not necessarily the, the story. It's an important part of the story for me. Um, to appreciating a piece of art. It's, it seems like what you're saying is very relevant to the work that you have in the gallery right now. Yeah, the, the coal work by yeah. William Carson. Yeah, that's um, that's exactly it. I find that work very meditative and minimalist and, um, and peaceful. Um, and it's also got a, it's got meaning, environmental meaning. There's, there's things he's trying to say with the art, but the thing that captivates my imagination the most is the process of, Mm -hmm. of how it's made and, um, and how he came up with working with coal and, and putting it down on a panel, that sort of thing. Maybe elaborate on who he is and the work a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so uh, William is a, a young emerging artist a couple of years out of university. Uh, he is originally from uh, Montana and grew up on a ranch with his family about 100 miles from the nearest town, uh, mm-hmm. really out in the middle of nowhere. But he was surrounded by a lot of coal mining companies, um, sort of uh, strip mines. And um, that's always surrounded him. So when he went off to university to s- start making art or, or you know, discovering who he was as an artist, uh, he knew he wanted to, to work with, art, with coal because it was a... Um, it was so important to him, so he just started experimenting with it. He's now moved to Austin, uh, lives here in Austin, lives and works in Austin. And um, I think he's kind of found at least uh, his starting point. And it, he takes raw coal uh, straight from the mines, breaks it up and blends it up in a blender into various different coarsenesses, um, takes the finest coarse and mixes it with an archival adhesive, creating sort of a paste, a coal paste out mm-hmm. of it. And trowels it onto a wood panel uh, in sort of a horizontal position, placing larger chunks of coal into that paste before it dries to create these really beautiful abstract uh, um, emotive pieces that sometimes are uh, geometric, uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. there's some uh, geometry to them, and sometimes they're much more, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, They... 
they're much more soft and and they're they're not hard edged. Mm-hmm. You know, they're uh, an interpretive of of the night sky or something more like that. Um, and so that's kind of what he's been doing, and he kind of went really large for this show that we have. So we have works from uh, that are six by six by four inches um, to pieces that are seven foot by two foot. Yeah. So very large pieces as well. And um, he's also creating a works on watercolor paper where he's pouring water through the coal and letting the coal uh, leave marks on the watercolor paper. Um, it's sort of the way a way for the coal to tell its own story without mm-hmm. him being very involved in it. So that's yeah, basically who he is, and I think it's just a fabulous show. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a great show. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm thinking about what it was like for you. Like, how long was your architecture career, and what was it like to make a decision to leave that to go into the art world? Um. Yeah, so I, my architecture career, I had my own firm for about 16 years. Um, and it was, it, was a, it was a hard decision, but easy decision. I knew that I was at a point in my life where uh, I had the opportunity to make change um, and to make a second career in something and be mm-hmm. successful at it. I'm young enough to do that. Um, and that was important to me. And um, I had a, a wonderful business partner who was very understanding of of where uh, of our relationship and and of we both knew that this might not necessarily be forever for both of us so whenever i made the decision that i wanted to do something different i wasn't sure what that something different was i didn't know um, that i wanted to be in art i just knew that i needed to break from architecture and explore Mm -hmm. something new so i left uh, and sold my firm without knowing what I was doing Hmm. um, at all. I had no idea what that was going to be. I did have people that said, you're going to own an art gallery. And I said, you're crazy. I don't know anything about art. (laughs) You know, I felt like I was um, not knowledgeable enough. You know, I'm a collector and that's my, my background is that you knew what you liked. I knew what I liked and um, I was surrounded by art uh, and surrounded by the art community and involved in the art community. But I just didn't feel like I, I felt like not having an art degree, uh, a degree in museum sciences or yeah. a fine art degree or something that I that I couldn't possibly know enough to run a gallery, and um, and I'm not sure that that's even what I thought I wanted to do. So I just got out of architecture, took a year off, um, and did a lot of journaling and a lot of sitting oh. in the park and so exploring myself. Space. I needed that space. I needed time to step away, and I gave myself time to step away. I knew that. Um, that I wasn't going to jump right into something else. I knew I was going to need some self-discovery time to reevaluate um, mm. what was next for me. And Renee was very good at uh, and very patient with me and, and said, mm. yeah, I'm going to take that time and space and let's, let's figure out what's next. Um, so, and and the, the art gallery sort of grew out of that organically. It just came out of, uh, after being out of, a job and a career for a while, me getting anxious and ready to do something and thinking, oh, it would it would be neat to put together a, an art show, you know, so sh- show some art. Renee and I had done that in Houston, actually, in our house. We had hosted little pop-up shows for artists that didn't have representation hmm. in Houston that we liked their work and we thought need, people needed to see. Wow. And we would host a, uh, a two-day 
event at our house over a weekend and have our art friends come and we would take out all of our art from our living room and put up art by this artist so that's and, why your friends knew that's what you were going to end up yeah, doing. yeah i guess i guess that's how they they kind of figured it out right they saw they saw us doing this and i guess maybe we did it four times four or five times hmm. um so they saw us doing that and i you know i it didn't occur to me that that's what was going to happen but that's how I got into it here is I thought, well, let's put together a pop-up show, but instead of in our house, um, let's do it at a, a, a space. And so I, I rented a space for a month, um, and I did. I called four artists that we collect who don't have representation in hmm. Austin, but they were very well known, and just said, "Hey, would you guys mind if I showed your work in Austin at a pop-up show?" And they were all very eager to do it and very supportive, and. I sold a piece the very first day before the oh, show wow. even opened. Like it had the day of the op- before the opening, um, I sold a piece, and I kind of I think that was I felt like that was a meaning yeah. meaningful, right? I was like, oh, was I, I, this is cool. This is great. <laughs> Turns out it's not that easy. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was it was a trick. Okay. <laughs> the world played on me, but um, no, I, and it, but I did enjoy having the pop up show. And um, and that led to another pop-up show, which led to kind of a, a more ongoing space where I subleased or a space that was a business uh, down on East 6th Street. It was an office building where I took the, the corridors and curated it for the landlord and, mm-hmm. and put up various different shows there. And that was fun. Um, and then that just turned into a gallery. Next thing I know, I have a gallery space that we're running and... It just, like I said, very organic. It was not planned at all. Yeah. Not the way you would do a business plan. This is not yeah. it. Like you know, because it's it's meant getting into it and going. What is my business plan? What do, what do I want to do? You know, I've got this gallery thing I'm doing, but it doesn't really have any foundation. There's no, um, you know, business plan. There's no model. There's no um, budget. There's you yeah. know, none of that stuff has been put into place. And so I've had to come back um, in the last year and visit some of those foundational items that yeah. I, I had never put into place. Okay. Um, and that's really helped. And what is, uh, tell me about your gallery, where, what the name and where it is. And everything. So it's Camiba Art Gallery. And I still have that space down on East 6th Street where we first started. I still curate that. Um, but my main gallery space is on East MLK in the flatbed building. Right. And so it's in sort of a complex of other galleries. Um, there, which I really enjoy having yeah, other galleries around to me. Be, yeah, yeah to together. S- exactly. Um, and the name of the gallery comes from my last name and my bis- my partner, Renee's last name. So my last name's Campa and his is Ibarra. So we took the first three letters of both and came up with Kamiba. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, cool. So it's kind of something personal. It doesn't really mean anything other than it's the combination of us. And it's nice because... Um, We've gotten into tours as well, and that's... Yeah, I was going to talk to yeah. talk about that. Yeah, that's a nice... Yeah, sort of it bridges the two of us. You know, his, we both like to travel, but he is very much a people person. And, and sort of the tours are really his thing. He's got the title director of tours, and I'm the director of the gallery. And so this Kamiba has really turned into a nice blend of both of us, even though... It started out as being something for me to do as a, you know, my second career. It really has turned into something for both of us to do. Oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah, so it's been nice. So how long have you had Kamiba then? <clears throat> has it been three years? Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Three years. Um, just a little over three years. Uh, we've been in the flatbed building for two years now. Okay. And we were sort of in that 
a space on 6th Street for a year before I moved over to a flatbed. Yeah, so, so three years. not starting out intentionally to open a gallery, and now you've had one for some years. Like, what do you... What have you learned? I mean, what? Tell me about owning a gallery and dealing with artists mm. and selling art. Like, what have you learned, um, or I, what did you think that you couldn't do that you actually have been able to do? Well, I, I, I've I've learned um, from experience and also from hearing, listening to other people that I, I can run a gallery even though I don't have a degree in art. Um, it's it's surrounding myself with people who are knowledgeable about it and making sure I'm listening to those who do have expertise. But then also, the main thing about running a gallery is just listening to your gut, and knowing uh, and knowing what feels right to you. Um, so I think that that's the first thing that I, I learned right off the bat that that felt good. Um, I've been really lucky that I've been surrounded by a lot of support. Many of the mm-hmm. gallerists in town have been very supportive of lending me uh, advice, mm-hmm. um, and giving me business advice on running a gallery, uh, so that I wasn't sort of recreating the wheel. You yeah. know, I got I got contracts from artists from several galleries. So my contract that I use with artists is actually. Um, cobbled together from yeah. several different gallery contracts. I took the pieces that I liked the best out of them and then ran them by my attorney. And yeah. I came up with what worked for me. And, and that was really generous of these other galleries to, to loan those documents to me. Yeah. Um, and, and those, you know, they did that with all, everything, with insurance, with all the elements that I needed to know about for a gallery. And these gallerists came up and said, hey, yeah, no, I'm happy to share that with you. And let me know if you have questions or I'll put you in contact with my person um, those sort of things. So, what's um, what's some yeah. of the that advice that kind of sticks out the most, or you think was most valuable? Um, I mean, we can get as technical yeah. as you want yeah. about running a gallery. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, one of the advice uh, from uh, from a gallerist was to make sure I stand my ground, hmm. um, um, because it's it's very easy to want to make everybody happy. Yeah, and ultimately, I have to remember that. Uh, that the gallery represents uh, what I feel is is um, my taste or my vision for art. Um, so I can't try to be everything to everybody. I yeah. have to, you know, go with what I have a vision for as far as the gallery goes. Um, and some people are not going to be a fit for that. And just realize that no matter how much I like a person, if their art doesn't fit into the aesthetic of the gallery, it's, mm. they're not necessarily a good fit. Yeah. Um, so that was, I think, really sage advice. That was something that was very uh, that I have to remember a lot because I do. I tend to like people and I want to represent them because I like them, and then I have to go, yeah, but their art doesn't really fit into that aesthetic that I want to, to define my gallery because I do want to have a definition. I want people to know what to expect when they come to the gallery. Um, I don't want a gallery where people walk in and go, Oh, wow, that's not something I expected from Camille Bart. Yeah. You know, I want them to come in and go, I know that I'm going to get works that are very attentive to craft and material and details. And it's mostly abstract and it's going to have meaning behind it, uh, mm-hmm. but, but that you don't have to understand the meeting to appreciate it. Those sort of things. Um, a consistent yeah, aesthetic. Yeah, that exactly. People could rely on. And yeah, if exactly. they like that same aesthetic, then they, they, they keep coming. They keep coming. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that was really good advice. So that would be that would come up in a situation where maybe everyone's telling you, "Oh, you got to represent this person," mm-hmm. and you meet them, and you, they're awesome. Yeah. But you just kind of yeah. 
sit on it and you think about it and then you're like, no, the work doesn't, it doesn't yeah. fit. In yeah. Here. Yeah. And it's hard to say no to people, you know, when, when they are good, when they're actually a, a great artist, um, and, and they probably would do well with the gallery. You know, I could probably sell their work, which mm-hmm. that makes it even harder, oh, wow. right? Because yeah. <laughs> it's hard to sell art. I could pay my rent with this. <laughs> but I could pay rent with this person. But then I have to realize it's not necessarily a fit aesthetically, you know, and mm. I have to pass them on to somebody else and say, hey, you're just not, you know, I, I love your work, but I just, it's not a fit for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really hard. I get a lot. This is, this is something I did not expect. I get a lot of artists wanting to be represented Mm. i had had no idea that it was that's a big part of what i do is just reviewing because i feel i have an obligation to review submittals and i I literally get one a day not every day some days i'll get two and some days i won't get any and some days i'll get three but if you average it out over a year i get 365 submittals a year of artists wanting to be represented it's a lot of art (laughs) <laughs> um, and I mean, for an art lover, that must be pretty awesome it, to it, see it's all incredible. this work that yes. maybe no one's seen. Or yes, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And and you know, I want to I want to go to their studios and I want to visit all these studios and see these artists and talk to them about their work because I just love that. That's that's why I do this. Is I love being around artists and talking to them about their work and and um, and seeing their process and seeing their studios. But it's not physically possible. I just you know, it's hard enough for me just to even review the emails, let alone yeah. get into the studios and see them so i have to really break down my time and say okay this this saturday i'm going to spend all day just going through this backlog of emails from artists and um and responding and saying i'm sorry you're not a fit and you know here's somebody you might try or um in some way giving them a response and then occasionally picking one to go and do an interview with um and then of all those interviews picking the one that's the right fit for the gallery mm-hmm. you know but I'm trying to keep my roster really s- small so that I can also um, uh, be of best service to the artists that I have. Yeah, that's right. something Stephen Clark talked about, too, because yeah. he keeps his schedule pretty loose and he has his shows gone for a long time. And uh-huh. he, he can react to situations where an opportunity comes up with some kind of promotional situation with one of his artists and he yeah. can kind of shift gears really quickly. Yeah, that's, that's smart. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, what else have you learned about uh, selling art? I mean, that's the big question for any artist or gallery. Or It's like, how do you mm-hmm. sell art? Or is it just it's, a it's completely random event? Yeah, it's not <laughs> easy. I, what I've learned from my gallery is that it takes time. It takes building um, a relationship with collectors and with designers. That's the biggest thing. I think is this last three years I've been building relationships with collectors and with designers. Um, they get to know who I am. I get to know who they are. I know what they like. They know what I have. Um, and so they start to trust to be able to come back and uh, and talk about what it is they're looking for, and mm-hmm. I can hopefully help them find it. Or even, you know, in a sense of a collector seeing artists I represent multiple times in the gallery. Um, they fall in love, if mm-hmm. you know, you can use that, I guess, uh, with that artist's work and, and begin to realize that's something that would fit in their collection. Um, and I think, I think this is 
general, generally probably very true, but I think very specific to Austin. I think it's very hmm. much about relationship in Austin. I'm, I'm not sure that I saw that as much in Houston um, in, in the way people collected. Oh, interesting. I also think in general, Austin tends to buy a little less at the opening night and uh, a little more throughout the show and even after the show, after they've uh, thought about the work and given uh, time to think whether it fits in their collection or not, that sort of thing. More less cautious in, collectors? More cautious or less impulsive, maybe. It's hmm. a more positive way to look at it is it's... Um, more thoughtful. Yeah, more thoughtful. Yeah, a more thoughtful way of collecting. It's not as much about like, oh, this guy's hot. I got to have a piece. Yeah, no I need to have, and I need this one. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I need this one, and I need it right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's much more like, oh, this guy's hot. Maybe I should consider his work. And uh, if I was going to get one, which would I get? And maybe this is the one, or maybe this one's the one. Maybe I need to think about it. And yeah, yeah much more th- thoughtful way of collecting. Um, and I like that. I appreciate that. I completely, but it makes it hard to run a business <laughs> yeah. you know, because um, I have, I have, uh, you know, to cover cost every month and some months I sell quite a bit and some I don't. And, and sometimes I sell works from a show, you know, six months later, it's it just oh. like people will call me and say, you know, that show you had, do you still have this piece? Cause I can't stop thinking about it. Oh, wow. And I'm like, well, you're lucky I do, <laughs> or I'm sorry, I don't, you know, but, um, but it, yeah, I, I, I get a lot of that, a whole lot of people just calling months mm. later and saying, do you still have this piece? I can't stop thinking about it. And I'm like, well, I love that, that you, you know, you're still thinking about the works. Um, you know, yeah. one thing that I like about, um, your gallery and you is, uh, I, your communications are very nice. Uh, your emails, everything you sent out, I think it all looks great. It's, Thank you. Very positive and uh, very informative. I mean, do you think that, I mean, obviously that must contribute to staying in these people's minds somehow, if they're on your mailing list or they're on Facebook or whatever. I hope so. I, I hope that, again, just like with the gallery, I try to do a, a very, be very consistent. Yeah, um, no, it is very consistent. You know, it's a consistent messaging. It's a consistent way of communicating my my emails. Um, are, are fairly regular once a week. Uh, I try not to do any more than that. I try not to do less than that. I try to be consistent um, and um, layout. I try to keep the layouts pretty pretty standard, um, so people know what to expect. And and um, I don't want to overwhelm people with information. You know, so keep it to one or two topics. Yeah, in an email. But um, yeah. I so I guess that, I yeah, that just- helps. You've probably had to learn. I mean, did you know anything about marketing or social media before you started the gallery? I mean, um, I, I knew a little bit. Uh, I, you know, I was the business. Uh, I was in charge of the business side of the the architecture firm that that I ran. Um, I was the partner in charge of business, and so I, I managed a little bit of the social media. We didn't have a big social media presence, but. I did manage a little bit of that, and we didn't also. We also didn't do a big advertising or publicity um, uh, budget of any sort. But I, I did help uh, coordinate that side of, mm-hmm. of the company and work with the PR firms when we had had them um, to come up with messaging and branding. So I knew a little bit of what went into it. I'd worked with um, business coaches before to help us uh, develop those. So I feel like I I brought a lot of that from that that former career into this. Um, I'm sure I can use a lot of help. I'm sure that you know somebody out there in the marketing world is like, well, you could do this better, <laughs> you know. Oh, wow. But I, I feel like I, I feel like I've brought enough to be uh, 
a marginally successful. I mean, event. what more could you do? I don't know. I mean, what but I'm sure that there, there is. I, you know, I I find that meeting with with PR people, they always find something else you can do. Really? Yeah. Oh. I actually just had uh, at a at a at a party last week. I met. Uh, a lady who was in PR, and she she had a whole list of suggestions for me. Oh, really? As the things that I could do to uh, strengthen the the company, and uh, and I think that's great. I love that. Um, I'm, but I'm not in a, a place to pay for somebody to come in and yeah. and, and run that. So it needs to be something I can do on my my own in in the amount of time I have to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. But I appreciate that there are people that have um, a lot of expertise in that. So what what do you think's work best though out of all the things you learned uh, when you were doing architecture as far as marketing and and it's the consistent the consistency you know yeah. making sure that you um, know what you're about and and being consistent in communicating that um, that's why it was really important this year to reevaluate the the gallery and decide what is our base you know yeah. what is it that we're going to be doing and and what are we going to be focusing on and and then that way i can clearly communicate that and that goes for both the gallery and the tours is yeah. you know what is it we're trying to achieve with these things and and then communicating that to people so i think that's what i brought i think that's what works in both architecture and in in the art gallery uh, world so Clear, consistent. consistent communication. That sounds like yeah. that's uh, relevant to any relationship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? it's, and it sounds like you're having some long-term relationships with these collectors. Yeah. yeah. Like, what? what is a collector, though? I mean, are they far and few between? Like, who... Why do people collect art? Why do you collect art? I mean, who are there any... Is there anything consistent that you've noticed about people that collect art at all? Mm. I think it's an addiction. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, like I actually have the same addiction myself, so I totally yeah, I get it. it. I think it's an addiction. Yeah. Um, the people who say, who say, I don't have any more room, so I can't buy this, are probably not true collectors. Oh. Because a true collector doesn't care whether they have room or not. <laughs> they just get it. And then they figure out what, how to deal with that issue when that. they get it yeah. home. Um, I think that's our problem. You know, we have no more room for art in our home, and it doesn't stop us. Yeah. You know, the budget is what stops us, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thankfully. I'm the same way. Um, yeah. It's, um, so I, I, I do. I think it's just a passion about it. And part of it for me is always supporting art, you know, supporting the artist. It, it's about loving the art, but it's also about supporting those people who make it. Mm. Um, I want to, to be somebody who helps people uh, be able to do what they do, uh, be able to do what they love. Um, by buying their art and uh and that's one of the reasons i do it one of the reasons i collect and i think there's there's different types of collectors there's collectors that are about that and then there are collectors that um collect things uh to decorate for it to be more of you know to, to create yeah matches or creates an aesthetic in their house that they've got yeah. a certain aesthetic they're going for and they're going for the, collecting for that and that's that's valid and that's fine and then there's people that collect as a, as a social um, uh, it gives them status a certain social status to have certain pieces in their home yeah and again that's valid and that's fine there's all these different reasons and ways to collect um, but I find, if I find that the collectors uh, that are most drawn to my gallery are the people who are passionate about it and do it because um, they love supporting the arts, they love art, and they love supporting artists. Yeah. Um, and those are the people that I connect with the most as well. Do you have any? Do you have any kind of routine around your home or your art? Like, do you interact with any of it every day, or you <laughs> look do. at it every day? Or I do. <laughs> I have a couple of funny routines. Oh yeah. Um, one of them is that both Renee and I 
um, in the evening when we're getting ready for bed and we're brushing our teeth, we tend to walk around the house and stand in front of pieces and brush our oh, teeth yeah. in front of pieces. <laughs> like, why stand in front of a mirror and brush your teeth? You know what you look like, you know? Yeah. So so that's a funny, you know, anybody who's watching through the windows every evening, they'll see us <laughs> wandering the house with our toothbrush. Um, but, you know, why not? Yeah, that's that's our funny thing. The other one is I, I, I like to tend to my art. I like to... Um, um, make sure that it's in good condition and oh. it's uh, dusted and and so I have a a very fine makeup brush like a uh, that I use to just dust off some of the pieces mm-hmm. so I occasionally go through the house and and tend to them you yeah. know and give them love and care and they may not need anything but I just make sure that they're okay and it's yeah. a personal relationship I have with them and yeah. um, and that often leads to moving them around. I decide that they're not happy in a location. They need to yeah. <laughs> be exposed more or less. And, and so we do rotate the art quite a bit, too. Yeah. Um, you know, and we have storage, so we mot- rotate things in and out of storage. Right. Yeah. So you just, uh, with all your pieces, with certain pieces, you just you just get some... What do you feel when you look at them? Like, why? Uh, what is know. it? Yeah, what it, is it, it is that, whatever it is. I mean, sometimes they're make me happy or they're make me contemplative. Or, you know, when I was in the architecture world, uh, and I guess it still happens, but really it happened a lot when I was doing architecture, I would use... They would oftentimes be inspiring for... Uh, helping me problem solve. Hmm. Uh, I may be having a problem working out a design or, or hit a stumbling block in, in some problem-solving situation. And sometimes it would be just a certain piece would kick off uh, some brainstorm that would just solve the issue. So, um, and, and I don't know how that happens. Yeah. But, you know, it's just there's some visual aspect to some piece that may trigger um, a thought process that leads to a solution. So. Mm. They're they're peaceful. They're you know they're they're everything that you could have in a relationship. You know they they lead wisdom. Uh, they they give me wisdom. They give me peace. They um, sometimes they're just there to be pretty. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I love it. I just love art. And yeah. it's um, yeah. I can't imagine not being surrounded by it. Yeah. And people often ask, you know, well, which is your favorite piece? And I, I can't also can't answer that question. You know, oh, I don't yeah. have like a favorite. It's like, like having a favorite, favorite child. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's the same situation. Do I have ones that behave more, better than others? Yeah. <laughs> Plays well with others better? Yeah. They, uh-huh. But they're all, I, I can't get rid of any of them. Yeah. So tell me about uh, the tours that you're doing. Hmm. Yeah, so those started out of the East Austin Studio Tours. Um, We found that we were hearing from people that they were overwhelmed with the studio tours, uh, the sort of open aspect of having 400 or 500 studios that you can visit in two weekends, and how do you pick, and how do you decide? Um, So I thought, well, why not bring people along with me to some of my favorite ones? And so that's how that started. Uh, and now it's it, that has turned into doing East and West studio tours, but we do them between the two weekends um, on weekday nights. So mm. it's very private and intimate, and um, we gather up people in a van and take them around to four or five studios at a time and serve them wine and, and snacks, and um, they get intimate interviews with artists. But that also ended up leading into a bigger concept of tours. We had also had people saying, you know, oh, what I wouldn't do to go on a a trip with you because Renee and I travel and love to look at art when we're traveling. We come Mm. back with photos of our trips and people would just say, oh, God, I wish I was there. 
And so we thought, why not make that happen as well? Yeah. And um, so we started doing international trips, putting them together and, and selling them to our friends. And that has blossomed into a, a wonderful business. Um, this year we're doing 10 trips um, internationally. Wow. Yeah, so it's become as, as big, if not bigger, than the gallery um, itself. And I feel like they go hand in hand. They're the same client base you know the people that are going on the trips also support the gallery and the people that support the gallery are going on the trip so um they they work hand in hand uh and and it's helpful too because uh, i get to know the people on the trips i know what they like um Mm. which helps me serve them as a as a collector um i can i can better help consult with them on finding right the right art and vice versa when they come on a trip if they've already been collecting from the gallery I, I know what they're going to be drawn to, so I know what to show them on the trip. Mm-hmm. So you need to make sure and see this, or you need to make sure and see that. Um, so we focus on Latin America. I think that's something we've come to understand this year is that the international trips are going to be focused on Latin America. So yeah. uh, right now we're we're doing several destinations in Mexico. Um, we go to Mexico City, Oaxaca, San Miguel de Allende. Um, but we also do Cuba, so we do Havana, Cuba, which is a very hot destination right now. People mm-hmm. people are just clamoring to go there. And we go to Guatemala, and right now we're talking about adding maybe Costa Rica or Argentina, uh, maybe our next destination that we add. Yeah. Yeah. So. What are those trips like? Fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> duh. They're fun. They're um, they're. Uh, focus on art, um, yeah. and and they're pretty loose, laid back. They're not um, they're not posh, uh, high end trips at all. They're they're the way Renee and I travel, and so that's the way we focus it. You're staying in nice uh, three to four star hotels. Uh, you're not staying in the five star with the you know the service twenty four hours sort of thing. Um, and you get out there, and, and they're active uh, to a degree. You're getting out there and walking and. And going to the artist studios, so we we do a nice mix of artist studios, um, art, a public art scene, uh, sculptural art or murals, and um, and museums, uh, and then uh, a little bit of galleries. It's been interesting. We've gotten feedback over the years that galleries aren't what people want to see when they're mm-hmm. traveling. Uh, which kind of worries me as a gallerist, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you know we've tried to take people to, to get to galleries, and and the reaction tends to be, well, I can see a gallery anytime, you know. So they really are interested in seeing the things that uh, the behind the scenes, behind the scenes things, and and that makes sense. And so that's what we're giving more and more of. So if we have galleries on the tour, it'll be uh, uh, maybe two galleries okay. on a tour, just to give people a sense of what the galleries are like in that destination, but. Um, but but we're not trying to do an exclusive gallery tour or something. Um, it really is a lot more about seeing the artists that are from the area and getting into their studios and and seeing their work and hearing from them. And uh, and we we try to focus on artists from that area. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, we're going to San Miguel over Day of the Dead uh, next this month, and um, I. We're not going to do any expat artists. So there's a ton of artists in San Miguel that are from the States Mm -hmm. that are retired there. And, you know, um, they're wonderful artists. But I feel like our mission and our job is to to expose our tourists to the artists of the region. Mm -hmm. Uh, And 
artists that are creating works that are inherently of that country or that destination. So we'll see uh, and meet with some of these artists, but we're not going to do studio visits or whatever. We're going to do studio visits with the, the regional artists that are, that are from that area. And do people that go on the trips often buy work, and how does that they facilitate do. it? They do, and, and, and I was not expecting that either. That was the first trip that we, that we gave, and we had people buying art. We thought, oh, my gosh, we, didn't, we weren't expecting this. And mm-hmm. they're like, how do you ship it, and how do you get it back for them? And so now we're much more prepared for that. Um, we usually can tell you which artists are going to be able to take credit cards and which ones will take cash. And um, some artists we have to facilitate the transaction, and some are you know, all prepared and ready to do it themselves. Uh, but we're there to support however we can um, mm-hmm. to, to make that easier for the people that want to collect. It's not required. We don't, you know, yeah. you know, we don't say you have to buy from artists. We have people that, you know, it's just they don't have the budget or they don't have the interest in collecting, but they, are, they like to look at art and they like to come along to look. So we're, we're fine with either, but we do find that a lot of people collect um, on these trips, which is great. Um, because we do want to support, you know, it goes back to our, our mission of supporting artists and allowing them to do what they, they want to do. Yeah. So we encourage artists, uh, the people to collect artists. One of the things that we also do is support, um, I wouldn't say nonprofits, but we support people in need mm-hmm. in the various different communities that we go to. So we find an organization or a cause that is important to us in uh, a, a destination and then we find out what they need, and then we ask that our uh, tourists bring things for them. Wow. So, uh, for example, in uh, Havana in Cuba, there is a um, art project uh, that's uh, put together by a, an older artist, a very successful artist in Havana. He started this uh, art school, if you will, and, mm. and it's um, on the weekends. It's free to uh, kids from the neighborhood. Um, and he basically teaches them art and and uh, gives them a place to be creative and gives them a place to do art. Wonderful. And he's been doing this for uh, 15 years, 20 years now, somewhere in that range. And um, so kids that started out coming to him and were three or four years old are now in, uh, graduating high school. And, uh, and it's wonderful to see their artistic talent that has blossomed. And so he's got a full uh, school of kids. Mm-hmm. And so we bring them art supplies. Um, he gives us a list of things they need, and mm. we bring those. And, and then we get to see the work that these, these um, very talented artists are creating and support them and buy the works from them and, wow, and support the school. But then we also take down things that the actual schools need. So there's an elementary school uh, very close to where we stay that doesn't have a lot of things that we take mm. for granted, like staplers. They don't have staplers wow. in Havana. It's bizarre to imagine, but for some reason they don't have staplers. So we take down staplers and crayons and um, staples. Obviously, you need staples to go yeah. with the staplers <laughs> uh, and things like that. So what's, what's great about that, though, is that we encourage uh, this sort of philanthropy from wow. our tourists, but then it gives them a place to bring the art back. Because if they take down a bunch of supplies in their luggage, then they have empty space in their luggage to bring art. And so we say basically as much art as you want to bring ba- back, that's what you need to take down the supplies so yeah. that you have oh, room okay. in your luggage. <laughs> right. um, and it works out for everybody. Um, yeah, and people just like that. They like feeling like they're doing something good, but then also having place with their art when they come wow. back. Genius. Yeah. That's really wonderful. It works out well. So San Miguel, when we're going down, 
this month. There's a, um, a, a school very similar to the one that's in Havana where it was just started for um, indigenous uh, children, um, a place for them to do art after school. Um, and we're taking them tennis shoes. They don't have tennis shoes. So um, they've asked oh, us wow. to bring tennis shoes for all the kids. And so that's our project this month with them. That is so cool. I did not know about that aspect of the trips. Yeah. That's yeah. really neat. So Feels good, too. Yeah, no doubt. Well, maybe back to the gallery I mean, I don't know how many people there are that out there that would listen to this could be thinking about starting a gallery or <laughs> um, just think of like advice that you might have for someone wanting to start a gallery or maybe an artist who start, wants to start selling art. I mean, it sounds like from all the submissions you get, there's a lot of artists that don't have representation. Mm-hmm. I mean, are there just not enough galleries in Austin to represent these artists? I mean, how does... I think there's not enough galleries in the world, but okay. I, I don't know that that'll ever be resolved. Yeah, um, I think there's probably um, more artists than there are collectors, so I think uh-huh. that that is also a challenge that we all have to face. Um, and so, I think my my advice to a, 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 an artist would be to be persistent and to also do your homework and to only hit up the galleries that you feel like are true true fits for you don't don't shotgun it and try to hit up every gallery in your town to see if you can get representation only hit up the ones that have the 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 tend to represent artists that you think um maybe tie in with what you're doing whether it's material based or aesthetically or whatever um and then for for people who are thinking about starting a gallery gosh my advice to them would be to make sure you do your homework and be patient because it really has you know i wasn't sure that it was going to make it Mm -hmm. um i'm sure some don't yeah yeah it'd be hard i know that a lot of galleries don't make it i mean i see i see the remnants of that um and you know there's still days i think it might not make it but you know it's yeah when when are you ever super confident (laughs) you're not gonna make it (laughs) that's the way any business is right you have you have those moments and and i think at this point i'm i'm committed i know i'm committed and uh, and i think the tours help with that i think that having a more uh, holistic business for us uh, Mm. that covers a broader swath of creativity um, makes me more secure in in that we're going to make it. Um, And I think being patient is important and being passionate is important and keeping your vision and sticking to it. Um, I think if you go with the, the direction of the wind, you, you know, you won't have consistency and that, that won't help you. I think you have to have consistency of what you're trying to do. Uh, and then the people who appreciate that, that whatever it is you're trying to do will find you mm-hmm. um, because you'll have a reputation that they'll, they'll be able to latch on to. Yeah. Consistency, have good work ethic. Mm-hmm. Just, keep, yeah. just keep going at it. What do you think it's going to take to create more collectors? Like maybe there are people that want to start collecting and they're not, or mm-hmm. I don't know, like, mm-hmm. is it, it's a, is an education? Yeah. You I have to give. Exactly and, I think it's education, and, it's, and again, it's connection. It's uh, people who weren't necessarily raised around art or um, understand the idea behind collecting art. Um, it's it basically having conversations with them about that. Uh, and uh, the Menil Collection in Houston was a, a very big, is a big, very big supporter of, of of collectors and giving them knowledge and background hmm. and free education. Uh, and I learned a lot from the Menil Collection in Houston. How do you spell that? Uh, um, M-E-N-I-L. Okay. 
I've not um, heard of that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a wonderful um, museum in, in Houston. Oh. But they, when I was in Houston, uh, they were offering, I believe it was on a Thursday night once a month, they were offering these free um, talks or, or uh, lectures or um, discussion, panel discussions. And each month they would be different. Uh, but they would be around objects, uh, subjects like... Um, uh, how do you how do you um, insure your art? Hmm. And so they'd have a panel of, of uh, would include an insurance company and would include uh, maybe a curator uh, and maybe um, some um, conservator or something. And and they'd have this panel discussion about it. It would it would be exactly one hour long. They never ran over. They never did less than hours. Exactly one hour. It was mm-hmm. not a, a social hour. It was like you came and you sat down. And you had this this event, and you could hang out later and talk about it. But it was it was really very much about just having this educational moment. And they do uh, subjects like uh, how, uh, how do you know uh, what to collect? Yeah, you know. And they they were just really really informative wow. uh, talks. And, yeah. and um, I think we need something like that here. I was just going to say, why don't you do that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have enough hours in the day. I would love to do something like that. I would. But I have recently um, joined the Art Alliance board. Okay. And, um, and I think that that's something I would love uh, to encourage the other board members to um, to do with the Art Alliance. I think that's part of it fits into the mission of the Art Alliance, which is connecting people with art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can see us taking that on. I know that we've got some other um, coals in the fire that we need to nurture as well. But if we can find the, the manpower to do it, I think education fits into what the Art Alliance does. If it's not the Art Alliance, I think there's other institutions in town that could do it. And I'd be happy to lend a hand, but uh, running my gallery and my tour company is full-time right now. And I, I just can't take on another thing. I've thought about it. I've thought about trying to offer those at the gallery, but I just there's not, it really isn't enough hours in the day for me to do it. So that cliche is still true in a sense that people are intimidated by art and they uh-huh. they can't they feel like they can't access it they don't understand it so they just kind absolutely. of yeah absolutely. don't try yeah and it, it's interesting to I really try to be one of those galleries that people feel welcome in I don't I I don't want to be a pretentious gallery where I don't look up from my desk when people walk in and I don't give them any attention and yeah uh, no I'm very much you know people walk in I'm like hey how are you let me know if I can help you let me know if you have any questions. Um, but I also don't want to be, you know, a pest, right? Like following people around the gallery and, yeah. you, know, you know, when they really just want some time alone with the art. So it's it's hard to find that balance. But it's interesting. I find people that come in that are intimidated. And I, I do everything I can to make them comfortable. You know, I don't want them to feel like they have to buy something because they're in the gallery. Yeah, I, I want them to come in and just enjoy it and appreciate it. And, um, you know, if, if you can only f- afford art that's $50, that's great. Go buy art that's $50. I, there's nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't also mean that you can't go look at art that's $1,000 or $10,000. You can still go appreciate it, you know? Yeah. And if there's an artist, uh, a gallery that that makes you feel uncomfortable, if they're uh, pretentious or snobby, don't go to that gallery, you know? But go to other ones. There are other galleries out there that are, are, are welcoming and encourage you to come and see the art because ultimately that's what it's about is you getting out and appreciating it and viewing yeah. it, so... I think it's that education that you shouldn't be intimidated and you shouldn't be afraid to ask questions. And there are no dumb questions. You right. know? If there are people that make you feel that they're dumb, then just ignore them. 
Like, you know, yeah. I don't think we have any people like that. In I, don't, Austin, I, do. I don't think so either. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, it's not New York. <laughs> I'm or... not. Uh, yeah. And I'm definitely not like that. Um, yeah, I, I really don't. I don't think we do. But um, I hear those horror stories and I just want people to feel comfortable. Yeah. And it could take years for someone to come around and say, I'm ready. Yeah, absolutely. But you yeah. just have to keep fostering that relationship mm-hmm. and, and getting them to a point and, and getting them to a point in their life when they when they can, you know, they, they maybe they can't financially collect they would love to but they can't do it or they don't have room to do it or whatever whatever the excuse is and that's fine it's they just have to get to that point but if you give them the knowledge and the understanding and the appreciation for it then when they can collect then they will you know when they can support the artist then they will yeah and uh, it may not be with you you know i may be building this collector base for some other gallery (laughs) whatever that's fine it, it all goes around right yeah i hope so what would be like your your big pitch for someone on why 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 should I buy art? Mm. Um, you should buy art because it makes you happy. You should buy art because it stimulates you, your mind to think about things. Um, you should buy art uh, to support the artist. I think those are kind of the three big things for me. Yeah, you know, does it make you happy to look at it, or does it? stimulate you in some way is it does it make you think about something um does it make you contemplate things and and can you support a living artist with it you know can you allow an artist to do another piece for somebody else by supporting them Mm -hmm. you know very nice i think that's there's a lot of other reasons yeah you know if i have to boil (laughs) those are good those are the ones (laughs) okay well uh I think we've almost gone an hour, so I think that's enough. (laughs) That was fast. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for listening, and please feel free to share any feedback you might have by going to the contact page at austinarttalk.com or email me at podcast at austinarttalk.com. If you have any suggestions for guests or subjects you would like covered or addressed, please let me know. I haven't interviewed him yet, But I think my next episode will be with Patrick Puckett, who will have his work up at the Wally Workman Gallery for the month of November 2017. All the best to you and take care.